You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Helping people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. That's why we exist at Genwealth Financial Advisors, and it's why we put on the Get Ready for the Future show. We are glad to have you along for the first episode of August 2023. Hard to believe we are into late summer. I think they call it the dog days, John, right? Yep. It's almost football season. I mean, how fast do these days go by? Man, it, uh, it goes by fast, but, uh, you know, when I'm thinking ahead to football season, it doesn't go by fast enough. I, I keep counting down, and it keeps being weeks, and now it's down to days, and so I'm, I'm really anxious. And we can't get impatient, though. That's that's, that's one right. thing we can't do in finance, and it's ca- that's we right. can't do in life. You're we right. are taking your questions on the Get Ready for the Future show, as always. And if you have one, here's how to get them to us. You can call it in, or you can text it to 501-381-5228. We want to hear from you at 501-381-5228. However, you're most comfortable getting that question to us. Leave a voicemail or just shoot us a text. Or you can send an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. That's show at getreadyforthefuture.com. You can hear your questions answered on the air. So let's dive right in. Our first question of the day is from Alice in Little Rock, and she writes, I'm 28, and I've been part of the FIRE movement. I've been saving an extreme amount for the last 10 years but I'm getting tired of it. I stumbled onto your show on YouTube, and I'm starting to realize that I don't actually have a plan. I don't want to spend my whole life working, but I also want to be sure I can still be financially independent when I do retire. What should I do? Alice, thanks very much. Some people may be hearing that term fire movement for the first time, so let's define that first off before we get in to answering Alice's question. FIRE is an acronym. And I actually looked it up online. Nobody really knows who created it. But it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And the concept's been around for almost 30 years. It was actually uh, generated from a book written in 1992, not necessarily about the fire movement, but about the concept of living very frugally, uh, saving up to 70% of your income and investing it, and then withdrawing an arbitrary percentage of 3 maybe 4% from a portfolio at a specified retirement date. It's that it probably goes a little deeper than that. Right. But that's pretty much it, John. And and it has caught fire, if you will, in recent years. I think the millennial generation has really uh latched on to this concept of if I really live extremely frugal for a short period of time, I can then no longer work. Yeah, but, and the concept is is there, but Scott, I have to say that that the execution is is a real problem from a, a number of different angles. We believe in financial independence, one hundred percent. We believe at Genwealth that financial independence is something that every investor should strive for. The whole retire early part becomes problematical from not only a longevity standpoint, meaning you've got to stretch this money over a very very long period of time. And you've got to have consistently good returns over that period of time, which you know you're probably not going to get just because of the economy and the way that it works and things of that nature. 
But I think you've also got to, to think about what does 40, 45 years of not working really look like? Mm. I don't have any idea what that really looks like because it's not something that I've ever even thought about. But, but clearly there are people that, that are motivated to do this and they are living, as Dave Ramsey would like to say, on beans and rice one day and rice and beans the next day. All for what? That, yeah. that would be my question. Uh, all for what? And then secondly, I think that when you think about what is it that you're going to do with your time, if you've got some productive things that you can do, then that's great. If you're going to sit around the house and eat donuts, then you're probably not going to live very long. So True. it's not a whole lot of need for saving a lot of money in that case. Yeah. But but I do think that that this really does point out Something that we've said for a long time about retirement, doesn't matter whether it's early or late, retirement is an income problem, not an asset problem. Yeah. And it's you don't have some of the tools available to you early in your lifespan that you do later in your lifespan, like Social Security, like pensions, things of that nature. Yeah, and Alice admits as much here that she's getting tired of it. it it's, a, it's a hard path to leave, uh, to to. To lead when you're living on beans and rice and then rice and beans. Yep. And and, I, and she says here she realizes she doesn't actually have a plan because that's what maybe is lacking here with the fire movement here is when it says financial independence retire early. Well, what does that mean to Alice? Because financial independence for Alice and her process of discovering it is going to be different than financial independence for Scott, right? Because it is an income problem that needs a solution. And so let's kind of dive into two really big uh, red flags about retiring too early when it comes to solving the income puzzle. Because the concept, as we mentioned, again, was about saving up to 70% of your savings, uh, saving up to 70% of your income, and then investing it, and then living off of either the income, the interest, or uh, the actual principal of that investment portfolio. There there almost be no way you could live off the interest and and, uh, and dividend income. You'd have to be willing to risk your principal. But that is the stress for everyone who reaches retirement, right? They have to make their money last. They get help when they're older. Because let's talk about qualified plans. Because if you are working and you're putting money into a 401k, or maybe you're saving in an IRA, those are qualified retirement accounts. The qualification on them is you have to be 59 and a half. Now, there are some uh, extenuating circumstances on the 401k, you could actually be as young as 55, but a long way off from being in, included in the FIRE movement. And if you aren't those ages, then you can't withdraw your funds without being penalized. There's yeah. a 10% penalty for early withdrawal. Yeah, there is. And, and Scott, w- one of the biggest factors here is that if you think about the people that are retiring successfully, they've been diligent investors in a 401k plan, but they've also been getting the company match. Right. And that company match has a big impact on the longevity of that 401k plan. And so if you can't use the 401k plan, let's say for a significant part of your retirement, quote unquote, years, let's say you retire at 45 instead of 65. Well, that's 20 years that you've got to to live on money that is coming from somewhere other than your 401k plan. So you've got that problem. The other problem that a lot of people don't really think about is they think, well, I can get by on X number of dollars per month. And maybe that's true right now. But what does inflation do to you right. long term? And I think inflation 
might be the the water hose that has kind of dampened the fire movement of late. Yeah, inflation has been running hot, of course, since 2021, cooling down now. But even if you take the very mild average inflation number over the long period of time in the United States, it's about 3%. So if you figure that your dollar is going to need to increase by 3% on an annual basis over your retirement, well, it's one thing to be able to create inflation-adjusted raises for someone who's going to be retired for 20 or 25 years. It's another thing to create it for 40 or 45 years, because if you think about it just as a general rule, that dollar is going to need to be two about every 18 years, Mm -hmm. about 18, 19, maybe up to 20, but you're going to have to double and then double again, and that's going to really put an excess strain on your portfolio. So let's take it off the portfolio now, John, and just talk about guaranteed income. Right. Yeah. So uh, Social Security is one of the things I wanted to talk about. And, you know, if, even if you say, OK, I'll claim Social Security at 62. Well, you've got to get to 62. And then when you get to 62, do you have anything that you could supplement your Social Security that's left after 20 years of living on all of your money that you haven't taken before? So it is an incredibly uh, complex problems. Very, you know, admirable that people would try to do it. Yeah. But I think that the practicality of it really does run aground as you begin to, you know, think about, you know, exactly how would you actually make all of this work? What are the semantical things that you have to do to make this all work? And look, here's here's the bottom line. Providing income to somebody for 20 or 25 years is hard enough when they retire, let's say at 60 or 65 to try to provide that for 45 years, that is a huge undertaking. And it requires a lot of money, a lot of planning, a lot of time, and a lot of scrimping. And you have to just ask yourself, what part of life is it that I'm leaving on the table yeah. by doing that just to be able to be free from work? And I will also say that there is a great benefit to work. I think yeah. there is a great benefit. A lot of this is mindset and, and I think there's a great benefit to working if you're working in the right job. What I think is happening, Scott, with this fire movement is a lot of times people are not finding their job to be fulfilling to them. They have been placed in a, a, a company to make money as opposed to really uh, fulfill their purpose. And I think that's where a lot of people really kind of get disillusioned with work and get driven to something like this fire movement but then they get disillusioned with the fire movement because it's so hard. Yeah, so rather than the fire movement, maybe they need to find a way to light a fire, right? Some That's passion right. in their workplace uh, or in their job or in their chosen profession. So if you're listening out there and you're like Alice or if you're a little older and you're going, well, you know, she's saying I'm saving up to 70% of her savings and that's not going to be enough. Well, that's not what we're saying. And we're not saying uh, that you should have an arbitrary withdrawal percentage of 3 to 4%. There's no magic answer here. It all depends on unique circumstances. Alice is going to be discovering financial independence in a different way than someone else would. It is an income solution. If you want the answer of when you can retire, you do actually, as Alice has mentioned, need to have a plan, a written plan on paper, on purpose that shows you your monthly income from a determined portfolio balance when taking into account other things like social security, maybe there's a pension Uh, What other sources of income do you have that you can stack the investment uh, withdrawals on top of? And when are you going to retire? And if you're short of that mark and you're determining, well, when can I retire? Then you look at where you are today, how much you need to contribute. We'll have that answer in the written plan. How much do you need to contribute to get to where you want to be? And those are all the variables. It's It's way more complex, John, than just a simple 
uh, savings percentage or even withdrawal percentage strategy. It really is, Scott. And one of the X factors in this is is the economy and what's mm-hmm. going on in the economy and, and how economic things come into play. And so to, to kind of take it a step further, you know, one of the things that we do here at GenWealth is monitor the economy all the time. Well, we've got a great opportunity for you to participate in that as we have invited Dr. Jeffrey Roach. He is the chief economist with LPL Financial. He is coming to Little Rock on August 22nd. Uh, the space that we've got is at the Chanel Events Center, and that is in West Little Rock, and the space is beginning to fill up. So if you're interested in attending this workshop, this Gen Wealth Academy workshop on what's up with the economy with Dr. Jeffrey Roach, you've got an opportunity to do that. And Scott, it's very easy to attend, but we do need people to register ahead of time. Yeah, we're giving you a couple of ways to sign up. Again, it's free, but seating is limited. You can call the number 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. Or you can visit our website, getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash economy to reserve your seats. Moving on to our next question on the Get Ready for the Future show today. Chris from Russellville writes, I'm 52 and recently inherited a large sum of money. Does that count as income? What do I need to to know about taxes on an inheritance and how do I know what's best to do with it? Lots of questions in there from Chris. Thanks very much for your uh, question. The first thing we would say, John, is Chris does need to consult a CPA. Anytime there's a big change like that, Uh, It is good to talk to a qualified tax professional, and we are not CPAs, but we do know what rules are around different types of inherited money. And the first thing he mentions here is, what do I need to know about taxes on an inheritance? And just the fact that it it is an inheritance does not necessarily mean there's going to be any tax. Yeah, there is no inheritance tax in the state of Arkansas. As a matter of fact, there is no inheritance tax anywhere uh, as far as the federal government is concerned or the state government in Arkansas. Now, some states do uh, have an inheritance tax. Arkansas is not one of them. So the money that you are inheriting is not subject to income tax or an inheritance tax. Now, there may have been a tax that needed to be paid by the estate of the person that is willing the money to you or bequeathing the money to you. So, but that's not on you. That's on that estate. So when you get it though, depending on, you know, what you're looking at and how much it is and, and what you do with it, if you invest that money, then you're going to pay taxes on the earnings of that money the interest that it might earn, let's let's call it dividends and capital gains, taxed at a different rate, but you will have taxes on the invested dollars unless you put it into some type of deferred type account, which you may or may not want to do. But there is no tax on that money actually coming to you. So that's good news. I think that uh, there is also, Scott, I a, a question of how this money is coming to him. Maybe it's life insurance. Maybe it's cash. Maybe it is uh, an appreciated asset that has a stepped up cost basis in value. Again, this is where a, a CPA a tax advisor would come into play here to talk about that. But there is no inheritance tax that he's going to have to pay for. Yeah. Now, moving on from that, I think we really have to think about, okay, so what is the purpose of this money? Uh, if Chris in Russellville says, 
you know, I don't really know what the purpose is. I think that's the first jumping off spot that we would, would coach him on. Yeah, so do you have some debt? Is that a real place that it could be utilized in your overall financial plan to wipe out some debt? Is it uh, something you're behind on retirement and you'd like to use it to jumpstart your retirement savings? Do you even lack an emergency fund? We have no idea how much uh, money it is. It's a large sum of money to Chris, but can you use some of this to park on the sidelines in cash so that you don't have to go back into debt if you uh, aren't in debt currently or if you use some of this money to wipe out that debt? Uh, you know, And then going back to how the money is received, and John, you kind of talked about this, but we can go into specifics a little bit. I don't know if this is life insurance money. Um, from a tax perspective, generally life insurance is tax-free, right? The death benefit proceeds of a life insurance policy are generally tax-free, so you have no concerns of taxes if that's the case. If it is in an IRA uh, or other qualified plan, there are rules around how you have to withdraw that that are new, only three and a half years old. The Secure Secure Act back in 2020 changed the way uh, inherited IRAs have to be withdrawn. So if you are receiving this money from a parent or someone that is 10 year was 10 years or more older than you, then the law says you have to withdraw that IRA money over a 10-year period. You can do it uh, in various ways, but at the end of that 10-year clock, it has to all be withdrawn. So if it is a large sum of money, let's say a million dollars, then you're basically saying at best you're going to be able to piece that out $100,000 a year over the next 10 years. And that can be a very significant tax burden because those withdrawals are taxed at ordinary income tax rates. So it, in essence, gets stacked on top of whatever income you made in that year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that you have to really take a close look at that if it is a qualified plan, 401k, IRA, or something like that. If it is a Roth IRA that you're inheriting, then you don't have any tax impact, but you do still have to abide by those RMD rules over the next 10 years. It just simply means you have to move it from the Roth IRA into a non-qualified account. You don't really even have to sell anything to make that happen. So so there's uh, some you know background there. But I think if you think about Chris's situation, Scott, I think that you have to, uh, Chris has to assess where he is in life. You, you touched on emergency fund and debt. Let's talk about retirement. You know, Chris, if your retirement has been looking, eh, maybe okay, but not so great, this could be a great boost to your retirement to figure into your retirement income plan. Uh, it could be something that you think about from a standpoint of, all right, what is the best, what is in my best interest in terms of using this money? One thing I will say, Chris, that you should not go do is that is to go nuts and go buy a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's one way to get you broke really quickly. Uh, if you think about, Scott, uh, the the impact of sudden wealth on people, yeah. uh, you know, it's well documented that people who win lotteries yeah. are broke in a couple of years because every friend comes out of the woodwork and every so-called friend shows up that you didn't even know was your friend. And, and so everybody loves somebody's just got a lot of money. And yeah. so clearly, you know, Chris needs to really think about what his purpose for this money needs to be first and then what he wants it to do for him second. Yeah, and it's good, Chris, that you are considering the taxes and planning around the taxes. Some forward-looking tax planning is always good. And again, a reminder to consult a CPA. Thanks for your question, Chris. Before we move on, though, we allow us uh, a little bit of an off-ramp here to kind of talk towards the mentality that is out there about a fear of taxation. And, you know, yeah. here, here's the deal. 
and, and, and I hope everyone hears me clearly, you cannot avoid taxation. You can only plan to minimize taxation. And unfortunately, the fear-mongering that goes along with the uh, preying on someone who is worried about paying taxes on inherited dollars, retirement dollars, whatever the case may be, has caused people to make some really bad decisions because they're trying to avoid taxation. Be it taxes or market risk or anything of that nature, I was just noticing in the newspaper this past weekend that uh, one of these gold IRA companies is being sued uh, in a class action lawsuit because people were scared into buying gold as their investment for their IRA because gold has never gone to zero and we're facing economic collapse and all this type of thing. You know, Scott, I've been in this industry for over 30 years and I can't tell you how many times I've heard that every year yeah, that, that right. I've been in this industry mm. and it hadn't happened yet. And so can it happen? Well, yeah, anything can happen. But here's the deal. You know, those companies, I always ask this question. First of all, if gold is such a great investment, why are they trying to sell you their gold? That's the first question. Secondly, how much do they make? According to this article I read, uh, this one company charged 33% commission. So they lose over a third of their of their dollars uh, to the company. And, and then if gold doesn't perform as well as they think it will, then they lose even more money. And so there's a big class action lawsuit because people sat in front of the TV and were constantly told taxes are going to be a problem and, you know, uh, markets are going to be a problem. So go put your money in this. I don't ever think you should make an investment decision solely because of the tax issue. Yeah. Now, are taxes important? Do you want to do everything that you can to minimize taxes? Absolutely. But you're right, Scott. You can only minimize or defer taxation. You cannot avoid taxation in most cases. If you've got a question for us on the Get Ready for the Future show, call 501-381-5228 or text your question to that number, and you'll hear it on the air. You can also send us an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Time for our next question from Angie in Springdale, and she writes, I recently found out that I've got a net worth of about $4 million, which feels pretty good, if I'm honest. Pretty good. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so, Angie. But I'm 60, and I don't really know how that plays into retirement, if it does. What are your thoughts? What do I need to know? Well, Angie, let's uh, talk first up about what you mean by net worth. And, and we're not suggesting you're confused over that by any means, but this will be helpful for other people. Net worth versus liquid net worth, right? There, yep. there is a difference. And when it comes to retirement, you can't spend the non-liquid, the illiquid net worth. Scott, if I own the building that we're in right now, I would have a very high net worth. But unless I could figure out a way to draw income from the building, and maybe I could from rent or something of that nature, then I don't have a lot of liquidity. And right. so that's the difference that we're talking about here, net worth versus liquid net worth. In our book that we wrote several years ago called Your Retirement Should Be More, we talked about the fact that if somebody, you know, just walked out of their back into their backyard one night and suddenly this meteorite of gold had had plopped down in their yard, they would be wealthy, but they might have problems buying breakfast the next morning because they don't have any cash. And so that's that's really where this turns into. And I, so, Angie, congratulations. you got a $4 million net worth. That's fabulous. That's great. But you've got to think about liquidity. You've got to think about how do you turn that net worth into liquid 
assets that you can spend for retirement. And so I think that that is a, a real problem that a lot of people had. And it goes right back to the uh, statement that we said earlier on the show, uh, Scott, that that retirement is not an asset problem. Right. It is an income problem. So I think that's where uh, Angie should be focused right off the bat. Yeah. And there's all kinds of ways we can go with this. We don't really know how her $4 million is uh, allocated at all. Some of that illiquid if she has illiquid assets, could be income producing, right? It could be a rental house. It could be commercial real estate. It could be farmland. And that could be included in someone's retirement income plan for sure. But I think the other part of that goes to, and we have clients uh, who we worked with over the last couple of years, can't tell you, there's probably half a dozen of them at least, that they did uh, receive a lot of income that way. And that was their job to be able to rent houses. But then you have some maintenance, right? And yep. as you get older, do you want to keep maintaining that? Do you want to pay somebody to maintain that, which cuts into your overall income uh, as well, your profits? And what we've found is that by the time that people are into their 60s, they're looking for a way out, at least partially, maybe yep. not completely, but they're looking to divest themselves of at least some of those properties, some of that land, so that they don't have to work so hard and can really experience financial independence. So that's something to think about. And I think it's good that you plan for that if she's 60 and she wants to actually start receiving uh, her retirement income and not work at 65. That's a great time to start doing it because you got to allow time to be able to divest of some of those illiquid assets. Angie, here's an easy way to think about this. Very easy way. Retirement is like needing to replace a paycheck. And if you think about what you really like about your paycheck is it's very uh, predictable. It's going to hit the bank account, I don't know, every two weeks or uh, twice a month or whatever the sequence is. You're going to get that paycheck on a regular, consistent basis. You like the consistency. And it's likely to grow over time because people give raises. And, and so you've got to think about that in the context of retirement and how you can actually take those assets, turn them into liquid assets, and also turn them into assets that are going to grow over time to provide additional income so you can offset inflation. I think you also have to think about if you're going to liquidate assets, you've got to think about what are the tax ramifications of that. We were just talking about taxes. That needs to be a consideration. It doesn't need to be the whole reason you do something or don't do something, but you've got to think about that. And you have to also think about the valuation of those assets. It's now a good time to liquidate it. Is it, can it, is it something that can be liquidated over time to spread out? the impact of the valuation to spread out the impact of taxes. So there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. I think it would be really good for Angie to sit down with an advisor and work through the complexities of having what is essentially a great problem, a $4 million net worth, but how do you make that net worth work for you in terms of income in retirement? If uh, you're like Angie and you're looking to solve some of those same questions or answer some of those same questions, you can always sit down with a Gen Wealth Financial Advisor. All you have to do is call 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526 and set up an appointment. We've got offices all over the state of Arkansas and in northwest Louisiana. Our final question of the day on the show comes to us from Drew. He is in Little Rock and he writes... What is the impact of inflation on my 401k? Do I need to do anything differently during periods of high inflation? Boy, great question from Drew, and, and we have experienced this in 2022 for sure, especially later into the year in 2022 as that downturn we went through. We were down the S&P 500 index down about 19% in calendar year 2022, 
and a lot of people were dealing with inflation, high inflation at the same time, Johnny. You think about, hey, I'm having a hard time paying for things, and everything I've saved is going to pot over here, right? Yep. That was the mentality, and I understand that. It makes you want to do something different in your 401k. And this is where persistency and focus really comes into play. If you think about what has happened, if you persisted through that downturn that we had in 2022, yeah. so far this year, the S&P 500, get this, is up 19%. Now, it may not feel like it, may not seem that way by watching the news or listening to your buddies at the water cooler, <laughs> but the S&P 500 is up as of our day of our recording, up 19%. So things do bounce back and, and the things tend to be cyclical. What is a real problem when things like this happen, and of course this downturn was was really instigated by uh, not only inflation ticking up, but the Fed responding with a higher and higher interest rates over time, being very aggressive about that. And so what tends to happen when the market goes down is t people tend to pull back on putting money into their 401k, which is exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. Because the prices on your 401k investments are down during that time, it allows you to put money in and buy additional shares. So if you are, if you have a long-term view and you are being persistent about what you're doing and you don't deviate from your plan, then you actually can take advantage of what a short-term uh, suppression in, in price might give you. And then uh, if you were buying during that downturn and now those shares are worth 19% more, let's say, then that's actually a pretty good thing. So you got to avoid that tendency to stop putting money in your 401k plan. Yeah. And one of the things I would mention here too is, is uh, if you don't, if you haven't signed up for the fastest four minutes in finance, this would be a good time if this question interests you to do that for Drew or anybody else listening. There was a Morningstar study that just came out uh, last week, I believe, or maybe even earlier this week that did a study over the last 10 years of the performance of the average mutual fund mm -hmm. and compared it to the average dollars by the investors that were in that same mutual fund, and they underperformed, right? So the, talking about the timing of exactly. when, they, when they invested, when they redeemed those mutual fund shares, that type of thing. Yes, and the average mutual fund averaged 7.7% a year over the last 10 years, and the average investor averaged 6 Now, that doesn't seem like a big annual difference but over, over 10 time. years that's a huge difference and it's all because of our tendencies uh it was called mind the gap and that's the gap it's between yep. investors wanting to get out and get in rather than just stay invested drew here is the truth for you there are only two asset classes broadly speaking that have ever outpaced inflation over the long term one of them is equities meaning mutual funds that are invested in stocks of of great companies and also real estate. Those two asset classes, equities and real estate, have historically outperformed inflation over time. Now, you can take short-term periods like this past year where real estate and equities were both down compared to inflation, and you can beat that up in that short period of time if you want to, but you're not living in a short period of time. You're living in a long period of time. And the only two asset classes that have historically outperformed inflation, equities, and real estate. I did not mention how you can sign up for the fastest four. Just text the word FAST to 501-381-5228. It's the number you need to write down. We use it for everything, right? 501-381-5228. Text the word FAST. That'll get you signed up. Or 
you can go to our website, getreadyforthefuture.com. It's really easy to just put in an email. It's delivered to your email inbox every Friday morning. We are not going to call you. We're not going to try to uh, annoy you with a bunch of other emails. It's just a simple four minutes or less video uh, that is a commentary about what's going on in the markets uh, and the economy. Now, Drew doesn't tell us, John, how old he is, but if he's asking, do I need to do anything differently during periods of high inflation, I would say not likely. And if you're younger, you need to always just ride this thing out because equities are long-term investments. But if you are inside of 10 years from potentially needing some of these dollars, a change in investment strategy according to a written plan may be necessary, and not because of high inflation, but just because of everything that's going to happen to you in retirement. Yeah, that's true. And and one of the big things that he has to think about in regard to inflation is if he is near retirement, how is he going to keep up his income on pace with inflation? Right. I think that a lot of people uh, can get locked into a, a situation where they've got a set amount of income going into retirement but then 10 years later, they figure out they're kind of behind the eight ball because their income that they're getting, their check that they're getting, isn't buying as much as it used to, and they don't have any way to increase that income. All about that written plan. And there's the bell. That is uh, a sign that we are within two minutes of the end of our time on today's show. Thanks for the questions from Drew and from Angie and Alice and Chris. We hope we gave you some good insight into your questions and uh, gave you some jumping off points for some action steps. John, it's time for your final thought. I want to go back to the uh, event that we've got coming up on August 22nd at the Chanel Event Center. Dr. Jeffrey Roach, who is the chief economist at LPL Financial, is coming in uh, to have a visit with Scott on stage and, and will be uh, talking about the economy, the markets, and what have you. You may have seen Jeffrey Roach on CNBC, on Fox Business, in uh, U.S. News, things of that nature. He is the chief economist at LPL Financial, and he's got great information for you. Now, there's nothing at all for sale at this workshop at all. This is something that we do for our clients and our prospective clients, so you have an understanding of the value that we can bring to the table here at GenWealth. So it's very easy for you to attend that event. All you have to do is go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash economy to reserve your seats absolutely free of charge. But uh, the seating is limited, so you can either go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash economy or call us at 866-653-PLAN, 866-653-7526, or visit us at getreadyforthefuture.com. My final thought, John, is if you are interested in discovering, protecting, and sharing true financial independence, let me encourage you to download this free offering from GenWealth. It is seven steps to financial independence, and it's easy to get. You just text the word steps to 501-381-5228 or visit getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash steps or email us show at getreadyforthefuture.com. And that is all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. We thank you once again for joining us, whether you listen on podcast, radio, or watch online. Thank you for doing so, and we hope you'll make an appointment to do it again next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. 
And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The GenWealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.